Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. If you don't have it, get it. And we are 110 days, actually, well, a little sub 110 days right now, 109 days, 16 hours, uh, eight minutes uh, prior to the beginning of Election Day, which is November 3rd, 2000. 20. And uh, the big question out there, obviously, is will President Trump be elected to a second term? And the macro situation, of course, is is looking ominous for any incumbent. Uh, no question that it would be difficult for anybody out there to survive the double-barreled onslaught of a raging coronavirus, a, a virus which uh, science right now has not caught up to, which the medical community has not caught up to that we really don't know enough about to fully tackle it. On top of that, the economic destruction that that has wrought, um, in addition to other issues and crises going on around the world. And, um, well, it, it's difficult. I mean, that's a, on top of that, of course, now he is essentially running against a ghost opponent, uh, somebody in the person of Joe Biden, who really hasn't done much of anything at right <laughs> right now, um, and uh, the public can probably excuse him for doing nothing right now because, of course, a lot of the public is afraid to go out themselves. Um, afraid they think it's prudent. I don't know, you know, as far as the language in particular. We'll talk a little bit about messaging and the like right now as to how. Uh, we can message or should be messaging things a little bit better. So President has taken the big step of shaking up his campaign, the upper echelons of his campaign, and uh, replacing his campaign manager, Brad Parscale, with Bill Stepien. And uh, those of us here in the tri-state area may know Bill Stepien as um, the political consigliere, the political chief, the architect of Chris Christie. And if there was a candidate, a type of candidate, an in-your-face type, brash, say-it-like-it-is candidate prior to Donald Trump in 2020, it was Chris Christie. It was Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey who came to power essentially saying he's going to be the guy to shake things up. He's going to be the guy to get stuff done. He's going to be the guy who is going to take on uh, the special interests, slay the sacred cows, whatever type of cliches in politics you're looking for. It was Chris Christie. Bill Stepien has been had been the political director in the White House and now takes on the difficult job. And I say it's a difficult job for a number of reasons, obviously. The one thing he does uh, of being the campaign manager of Trump 2020 and trying to right the ship. The interesting thing, of course, is that Brad Parscale stays, which not just unusual. Um, it's a it's not particularly uh, enviable if you're. Bill Stepien to have the guy who you just replaced or you just bumped out uh, as campaign manager. Now, we, we as looking over your shoulder and potentially sniping at you and being privy to everything to kind of be the guy potentially to leak or to complain or to criticize and criticize from the inside. So it's an unusual arrangement. They fire the guy, but they keep him. And it shows that there is a high tolerance in Trump world, and there has been for those who are viewed as on the team, as part of the family, who are close with the family, 
uh, in particular, and a willingness to tolerate them, even though they're pushing them out. And those people kind of stay, but they stay within the orbit, and you don't want him to go outside the orbit. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about Bayek Raskal is that he had never been involved in a political campaign prior to 2016. He wasn't the campaign manager then. He goes immediately for managing a presidential campaign, which, of course, under any circumstances, is an extraordinarily difficult job. Managing a campaign in general, no matter how small, is actually a difficult job, very high-stress environment, clock is constantly against you. The second, as the seconds go by, you lose time and you continue to lose time. You never have enough time. You can never get the time back. You can always raise more money. But the most difficult commodity in politics is time and the pressure that comes along because of time and timing is uh, can be extraordinarily difficult. But, but, uh, uh, Brad Parscale did raise and did was responsible for raising a, a financial juggernaut, uh, absolutely astounding amount of cash, um, and that does put President Trump in a very interesting, a very good position potentially to turn this around. Should they be able to turn the messaging around? Should they be able to kind of get past these dual issues? Um, but. You can't control the virus, and you can't control the environment, and that makes it very, very difficult to run for re-election. And what the president, as the ultimate outsider, as the outside candidate, unfortunately, oh, at the same time being the incumbent, it's a challenge. And you see it this week with his inner circle, being the White House inner circle, from within the White House, going after uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um. I don't want to judge. I'm not a doctor and I'm not pretending to be a doctor. And I don't think, and I'm not saying that anybody is infallible or anyone is perfect and anyone is, can predict anything. But let me say this. I believe in credentials and I would want as a potential patient or even myself as an EMT, I believe in science. I believe that there are cures that medicine does operate along a scientific continuum. And I think the idea that we have respected doctors and respected medical practitioners giving us good advice on a medical thing, that means something that should be meaningful. Uh, We don't have to introduce politics into every single thing we do and assume that just because Anthony Fauci might be advising a certain way, that makes him a Democrat, that makes him a Biden supporter, that makes him looking to tank the president's reelection. Uh, after serving six presidents of both parties, I think at this point, Anthony Fauci's track record should speak for itself. So the idea that Dan Scavino or Peter Navarro or others within the White House would send out material or write an op-ed, as Peter Navarro did, to challenge, tarnish, uh, oppo, uh, discredit, I think is the right word, to discredit Anthony Fauci, um, number one, it's kind of laughable um, that a guy who was a PhD in economics would turn around and say, I know medicine and science better than a the leading infectious disease. I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem that you run into. But let me, let me finish the thought that, that he would uh, think that he knows all this better because 
Anthony Fauci couldn't predict what the coronavirus would do. But remember, it's the novel coronavirus. This is a new type of virus. It has done all kinds of things that are new that have surprised scientists. And that happens, of course. It does happen. The question is now, what do you do? Oh, it's amazing. Fauci couldn't predict the future. So therefore, we should never listen to him again. That's just a bizarre attitude to take. That's just a counterproductive. But let me say this. There's a scene, what I think of, there's a scene from the movie A Few Good Men, or the play A Few Good Men. And in there, they challenge the credentials or the ability of the doctor on the base to determine the cause of death in the, um, they challenged him as an expert witness um, to determine the cause of death of, of the soldier who was killed. Okay, I don't want to hold the call context. And one of the lawyers, of course, was happy that they got it in there, that they kind of tried to discredit the doctor that he wasn't a pathologist or he wasn't uh, qualified to make the determination. And the other doctor, I mean, the other lawyer said, you dummy, you messed up here because you got the court to acknowledge that the witness was an expert witness in front of the jury and to say, and basically the judge said, here is an expert witness. He's going to be allowed to testify. You can't recount the testimony. He is an expert witness, even if he might not have the every credential that you were looking for. And that's the problem with going after a guy like Fauci. Even if it made sense to go, it doesn't make sense to go after him because it's ridiculous. The criticism itself is that it's, is absolutely ridiculous. Why doesn't that? Because every time you recount it, you challenge him. You say that he doesn't know what he's talking about, which, of course, I think the premise is faulty. But the public is reminded once again that Anthony Fauci has directed the NIH for 30 years. He's been in government service for 50 years. He's not in this to make money. He is the leading infectious disease doctor in the country. And everybody is reminded of that over and over. So you're trying to discredit a guy who, number one, is part of your government. This is part of the U.S. government. And this is one of the problems I think the White House doesn't always come to terms with is that they are the government. You're not an outsider criticizing. You're not criticizing from the outside. You are the government. And this is your government official giving advice. And you're going out of your way to try and discredit him so that the public might not listen to him because you don't like the conclusions that he's coming to. And it's the same thing going on with the CDC. We don't like the CDC. They messed up. They messed up. But they're, they're your government. They are part of you. You've been in office, meaning the White House, the you know Trump, the administration has been in office three and a half years. At a certain point, you have to own it. You have to own the decisions. You have to own the mistakes. Acknowledge them. Say you're going to do better. Put a plan together to move on. In a sense, we're kind of coming to this issue of with regard to the conventions. The Democratic convention was supposed to be this week. And the convention was moved to middle of August now. And there's going to be a virtual convention. And of course, the Dem Republicans wanted to criticize the Democrats for being scared and not wanting to have a real convention because Joe Biden continues to hide in the basement, etc. And uh, there's something to that. I agree. You know, it would be good for Joe Biden to get out there and campaign like a like a regular campaign. But of course, these aren't regular times. But that's not 
necessarily the issue. And I do think that the president, meaning President Trump, gets uh, some good energy and definitely has it's not it's definitely a a positive it's for him to get out there into certain states and i think that that is uh good for him but at the same time remember they moved the convention from charlotte uh they moved the acceptance speech from charlotte to jacksonville florida which is now looking like oh i can't we can't catch a break because this is a disaster jacksonville has been incredibly hard hit florida is now number three in the states i think more than three hundred thousand cases I mean, it's just absolutely astounding how many new cases per day going on in Florida. Jacksonville now has a mask rule, which, of course, the White House didn't want, with President Trump didn't want, and they are going to limit the attendance at the convention now. They could have just kept it in Charlotte. But there was this assumption that somehow we can will the virus away, that eventually it's going to just disappear. And that's been the attitude, is if it just disappears, we don't have to plan for the worst. We don't have to plan for anything. And, of course... As people, citizens, we want the government to function. We want the government to kind of do the things that it's supposed to do, which is protect us, which is protect the health and welfare of citizens. I mean, the polling clearly shows, and while the economic destruction has been, devastation has been dramatic, that many people will put health and safety first. And The fact is the coronavirus is all over the country right now. 41 states are seeing upticks in the number of cases. Texas logs a single-day record of of deaths. Um, We're seeing Arizona, Texas, Florida just absolutely exploding. And it's tragic. It's tragic. Uh, Governor Abbott actually wants everybody to wear masks. He's decided that, you know, we're going to wear masks and we don't have to lock everybody down if we have to wear masks. Now, there's this attitude in the Republican Party right now uh, by some, and I think, you know, Rush Limbaugh talks about it, is that we got to tough it out. Uh, we, we don't need to wear masks. Our our ancestors, they toughed it out. Uh, I, I just don't understand the whole idea of... You know, this is something that came from 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 God and whatever is going to happen and happen. And this idea like, you know, we're going to call, you know, some of the weak people, if you will. I know I'm kind of making an extreme statement, but it feels a little bit extreme right now to say things like that. You know, inevitably, some people are going to die and it happens. And uh, now, I mean, I don't accept that. I don't think it's. An attitude that any American should have, that we can take some casualties here. Uh, who's the casualty that you're willing to accept? It's certainly not, I'm not willing to give up anybody in my family, or my extended family, or people out there that I know and love. So I'm not, why not take the necessary precautions in order to protect yourself from COVID? And uh, as we close, I know we've taken, we've talked about the right, things are no better on the left. Um, the, what's going on right now in the big cities, as far as violence is concerned, is, is, is atrocious, is, is, uh, I mean, it's just astounding. And of course, you know, you have all these politicians now saying, well, the police are, there's a slowdown going on because, you know, there's lots of shootings and we're not, and, you know, of course we're excusing the crime as is talked about AOC. She gets on, uh, she gives an interview saying they asked her about murders and she talks about shoplifting because people are hungry. Um, of course, everything can be explained away. Uh, we, you know, there's no issues with, with crime or anything. Uh, 
it's just unbelievable. You blame the police because slow down. But the idea of the attitude towards the police is that we hate the police. We're going to defund the police, et cetera. All that, that has no bearing whatsoever on the police doing their work and doing the things that they have to do to protect them. Protect us, that is. Uh, it's just the crazy times. It's crazy times, my friends, uh, that we're living in. And um, it's just uh, Joe Biden will have to make a, the VP pick by August 1st coming up in two weeks. And uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, that's going to say a lot about what's going on in the country, a lot where his head is. Um, it's going to be very tough for Joe Biden to um, make everybody happy. But at the same time, I think he is don't done a good job so far in fending off the far left, um, basically staying right away. We're not going to defund the police. And uh, my last thought here, just with regard to um, the Confederate flag, uh, the president defended it this week. I don't get it. It's a political loser. Most of this country does not care. I'm sorry, does not want you to embrace the Confederate flag. It is a symbol of treason against the United States of America. It is a symbol of racism for many. It's a symbol of slavery for many. It's just a symbol of a time and a that we don't want to embrace, that we don't want to look at as saying there's anything positive here. And the idea, of course, you know, go back to the good people on both sides. There aren't really good people on the side of promoting the Confederacy. Um, I'm saying they might be good people, but their ideas are not good, and those are not ideas that we should embrace. And the idea that NASCAR got rid of the Confederate flag uh, from their races, I think that's important. It's not a symbol of heritage. There are a lot of things that are heritage. We have a common heritage as Americans of a great country, of a great system of government, of a great declaration of independence and a great constitution and a great republic that has lasted and, and a tradition of civilian government. And we do have that great and great tradition that we can celebrate, continue to celebrate without celebrating those who tried to tear the country apart. So that's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Mm-hmm.